You're a big tube. You're a worm. And I'm not saying that to be insulting. I'm just saying it's like, that's where you came from. Good morning. Happy Monday. I have neuro coffee in hand and it is perfect. All right. Man, today's a recovery day like you wouldn't believe. Uh, we wrapped up uh, the Intensive 15 yesterday. Amazing group of people. Um, what a great weekend. Um, you know, no PowerPoint, no manual, all struggle. It was great. We had a great time. Um, lots of high energy the whole time. Can't thank these people enough for, for uh, coming. Um, it was a little bit different as it always is in such a good way. So again, Thank you, thank you, thank you. But I definitely need a recovery day for this one. Um, so let's dig into today's Q&A. This is with Dan. Dan's always been kind of quiet um, on the Coffee and Coaches Conference call. He's been on a few times and then um, asked a killer question um, when he did did open up a little bit uh, this, this past week and asked a great question, very foundational question in regards to why everything is an ER or an IR, and how do we even get rid of these these straight planes that were so ingrained in us in school? And what we have to recognize is that all joints move on helical angles, and therefore, if they're all helical, they are all ERs and IRs, and this is the tough part to understand. But once you can get rid of those straight planes, a lot of solutions arise that you would have ignored previously. So Dan, powerful question. Thank you so much for your participation. If you would like to participate in a 15-minute consultation, please go to askbillhartman at gmail.com, askbillhartman at gmail.com. Put 15-minute consultation in the subject line. We'll arrange that at our mutual convenience. Um, please note, um, I'm a little bit behind on those because of the intensive um, this, this past week, so we will be playing catch-up for a while on those. So just be patient. We'll get to you. Okay. Thanks, everybody, for being here on a Monday. We will see you tomorrow. Um, last Follow-up question, just more of a model question. With um, describing motions as ER and IR only, um, mm -hmm. I guess uh, how would I best conceptualize that with, like, I guess traditional abduction or um, flexion? I kind of think about like the uh, Chinese handcuffs, where it's like a tube, and then I don't know. If you widen it, it kind of expands, and then if you elongate it, kind of. Uh, uh huh. Yes. So I don't know if I'm off on that basis. But... <laughs> That's exactly how it works. Okay. Yeah. All right. So um, make a big Y shape with both arms. So like a Y. So like turn your hands and all that kind of stuff. Your thumb should be pointing backwards, right? Oh, yes. There you go. Cool. What position is that? ER. Oh, it is. It's absolutely ER. But by tradition... The, the stuff that they taught you in school, what position is that in? Of the shoulders? Yes, sir. Some school pad. ER. Just ER? Like it, when, they, when they taught you in school and they said, put your arm in that position, Dan. And they said, what position is that shoulder in? And you go, well, it's this, it's this, it's this. It's three things, right? Oh, I see what you're what, saying. Um, so what yeah, three yeah. things is it? All right, so we've got flexion, a little bit of abduction, which we call scaption, whatever you want to do. No, no, there's no scaption. Get out of there. That's stupid. But uh, so, think so. Go to traditional school, three yeah. planes of motion, right? Okay. Okay. The, the old three planes of motion thing that don't exist. 
right? You understand that? Okay. If you're, if my arm is in this position, what position is it in? Like, give me all three. Uh, flexion, abduction, and ER. Okay. But it's not in any of them, right? To the maximum, is it? No. But they're all ER measures. So they're all ER, right? Okay. Because I had to, I had to create an expansion to get into that position, right? Okay, now take your right hand and put it in your left front pocket. Okay, so it's, it's you went across and you put it in the opposite pocket, right? You can put the other arm down, dude. Okay, so we're just talking about the right arm. Right hand in your left hand pocket. What position is that arm in? Uh, adduction, um, more, relatively more extension in IR. Well, it's, it, it, it's, it's in a relative position of extension, internal rotation, and adduction by tradition, right? Yep. All of those are IRs. So now you just did a PNF diagonal, correct? Now you understand why PNF does what it does. Okay. okay. It's just ER to IR, ER to IR, ER to IR. Okay. You get it? Yep. Thank it's you. All turns. See, it was all turns to get there. Did you understand that? Yes. Yeah. If all turns, if it's then, all turns, then who cares about straight planes? Okay. There's not a joint. There's not a, there, all joints. Here you go. All joints. Every single joint moves on a helical angle. All right. Okay. A helix. So if it moves on a helix, there is no straight plane, right? Any illustrations of that? What do you mean? With visual references. A with visual the, reference, like the, other than the one that you just demonstrated for everybody on this call? Yes, it's just, I don't know, conceptualizing, conceptualizing it is definitely, I don't know, for me, just a roadblock sometimes, but. Okay, hold your, hold your arm up in, in a traditionally flexed position, like, like, okay. How did you get your hand into that space, bro? Did you move in a straight plane? No. No. So I'm gonna exaggerate a piece of this to help you, okay? So hold your arm up there again, boss. Now turn your palm so it faces backwards, your thumb's gonna point out to the right. Cool. Did you feel the turn? Yeah. So that's a turn. There's no straight plane. Okay. Like literally you turned, you literally turned everything in sequence to get your hand into a position in space. All right. Do you see it? Yeah. Like the true shoulder flexion test, like I can appreciate that rotation. You know, that makes sense. But yep. for some other reason, like, I don't know, other planes, I guess, are more challenging for me, but. Okay. Do, uh, do you understand uh, Cotman's paradox? No. Okay, stand up and move back away from your camera just a little bit so people can see you from the waist up. Okay, your arms are resting at your side, your thumbs are pointing forward, correct? Yes. Okay, hold your arms straight out in front of you in 90 degrees of traditional flexion, thumbs pointing towards the ceiling. Got them? Ceiling, yep. the sky in your case. <laughs> All right, now from there, I want you to move your I want you to move your arms into 90 degrees of traditional abduction. Awesome. 
Now, bring your arms straight down to your sides. Do not change the rotation. Your palms will now face forward. Did you notice that? Yep. Okay, so I didn't tell you to turn your arms, but as you move through space, there's a, there's a, a round surface in the, in the shoulder joint that you moved, okay? And so we started with a, with a position where the shoulder was more turned inward. And just by moving you through space, I, I got your shoulder to turn. So as you're moving through space, regardless of where you're going, there's a turn that's taking place literally at the joint level. You see that? Yeah, yeah. So that's called Todman's paradox. And what this is, it, it literally has everything to do with round surfaces, like moving on a round surface. Okay. So you moved in straight lines. You actually made a big triangle that was superimposed on a sphere. That's what caused the turn to occur. Even though you ended in the same place, you had to face a different direction to get there. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So everything is turn as you're moving, everything has to turn to move. Okay. Okay. You're a big tube. You're a worm. And I'm not saying that to be insulting. I'm just saying it's like that's where you came from. Okay. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome, sir. Good morning. Happy Tuesday. I have neural coffee in hand and it is perfect. All right. A very busy Tuesday coming up. Um, a little housekeeping. Uh, I got a couple DMs uh, yesterday asking if we're still doing the Coffee and Coaches conference call on Thursday mornings like we always do because it's a national holiday here in the United States. It's Thanksgiving coming up. And so, yes, we will be doing the call as usual on Thursday because, well, it's Thursday. These calls are very international as well anyway. So we got lots of folks that would probably be participating regardless. Um, so, yes, we will be doing it 6 a.m. Thursday morning Coffee and Coaches Conference call. Please join us. Okay, digging into today's Q&A, a little something different. I'm actually going to show a short clip from last weekend's uh, the intensive uh, 15, uh, where we, we were working on some stuff on, on uh, some positioning and such. And I wanted to show you an easy way to help people find an early representation of the foot. And so real quick, let's just review what that is. So we've got an ER representation of the foot. The tibia is going to be behind the ankle. So this is prior to ankle rocker. So that ankle rocker is where that arch is going to come down. So we've got the ER representation. Heel is down, first metatarsal on the ground. But to teach people how to find this position, especially when they're biased towards like the excessive ER where they don't get the medial heel contact, where they don't get the first metatarsal head, um, sometimes it can be very, very difficult to teach people how to capture that. So. For those of you that are students out there, they're also trying to learn how to manually position feet or to capture like something that they would refer to as subtalar neutral. There's an easy way to do this. You have a little wrench that, that you were given um, when you evolved a thumb and a hand. And that little position right there, that little U-shaped thing is like a wrench that fits directly over the tail. So the talus is right here. And they teach you how to wiggle this around and try to find the middle. Well, here's the middle, boom, like that. And so that space sits right over top of the talus, and then you have total control over the talus, and there I can manipulate the subtalar joint in its position. If I take my other hand, 
There's another little spot here where that wrench fits over and it's over the back of the calcaneus. And so we end up with something that looks like that. And now I have total control over that subtalar joint. And then I can put the foot down on the ground and I can put it in whatever position I want. I can go early, middle or late, whichever you choose. And so this is a little bit of that. And you'll see me talking through the group um, as we're trying to work on this position. So hopefully this will be useful for a lot of people, like I said, especially students that have trouble understanding these concepts. All right, so if you would like to participate in a 15 minute consultation, please go to askbillhartman at gmail.com, askbillhartman at gmail.com. Put 15 minute consultation in the subject line so we don't delete it. We will arrange that at our mutual convenience. As I said yesterday, I'm a little behind because of the intensive, so hang in there, I'll get to you, just be patient. Everybody have an outstanding Tuesday, and I will see you tomorrow. Early representation of the foot. So let's bend your knees. Let's keep the feet on contact with the floor. Okay. So he really likes to be in an ER representation. We've got to superimpose some IR on top of this. Okay. So where am I going to start to cue the hook line position? Okay. But he really likes to be supinated. Yeah. And he doesn't know how to feel the movement in the subtalar joint. Like he can't separate. So do what you would naturally try to do. Like not, don't think like a therapist. Think like a normal human being. Yeah, it's yeah. gonna be hard. Okay, but but so if I say put yeah, if I say do it on this side so they can see them. Okay. So if I say put pressure on the inside edge of your foot on your first med head and your inside heel, you're gonna try to do this hip thingy. Yeah. And you're gonna turn. That's anterior orientation. So that's an ER representation of the foot with pressure on the medial side. If you were making a cut off of your right foot, I'd probably be okay with that at, at one moment in time, right? Okay? But we want relative motion in the subtalar joint. So I take my little wrench that fits right over the talus, and I jam it right down on top of it. So the talus is going to be right there, and that's my that's my – my measure for subtalar neutral, I can grab him, I grab the calcaneus and I grab, uh, I grab the talus and I can actually hold that in that, that middle representation. Right? Now, if I take your foot and I push it straight down, do you feel how it, you pick up your first metatarsal head and your heel? No more my heel. Well, I got you heavy on your heel. So I, if I do that, then, because but I don't want to teach you to load your first met head more in this right. position, right? So early is going to be heel to, to first met head. So the heel is always going to be a little heavy. Yeah. Okay. But what I want to do now is I want to teach you to find that. So I'm going to take you where you love to be and then a little bit farther so you can feel the subtalar motion. But I don't want it to come through the hip. So I'm just going to put my hand on your knee and I'm going to roll you out. So I still got my wrench on the talus. I'm grabbing the talus and I'm just going to roll it out. So I, see I push the, the, my thumb is pushing you into yeah. the ER representation of the talus, yeah. and then I'm gonna roll you back in, and I'm gonna take you past where I want you to go. Because all I'm trying to teach you is the excursion, because I don't want maximum pressure on the medial border of your foot, I want the optimal pressure. So I roll you out, and I roll you in, and I roll you out, and I roll you in, and then I'm gonna say, now, when I roll you, roll you back in, I want you to tell me when you start to feel that inside edge of the heel and the first metatarsal. Okay. And then I'm going to load it. I'm going to say, are you a little heel heavy there? Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Cool. Now, hold that one. Okay. If I push down, you still feel heel heavy. Yeah. Okay. 
that's going to be that's going to move the hand towards a, a a more max p moment good morning happy wednesday i have neural coffee in hand and it is perfect all right it is Wednesday. That means that tomorrow is Thursday. Tomorrow morning, 6 a.m., Coffee and Coaches Conference call, as usual, Thanksgiving edition. If you're in the United States, um, we will be very, very happy to do that call, even though it is a holiday. So please join us, grab some coffee, bring a question, and we all have a good time. Okay, digging into today's Q&A. Real simple one today. Um, so we talk about medial heel contact, and force production into the ground for internal rotation. And we have a similar representation that we have to, to mention um, in the hand as far as how we're gonna apply force in the ground for things like push-ups. So that's what this discussion is about. It's very brief, um, but very, very useful for a lot of people because when we think about uh, applying force into the ground, we have to still have to apply internal rotation into the ground through the upper extremity. And so we're gonna use the uh, pisiform side of that heel of the hand as far as applying force in the ground. We don't want to be on the lateral aspect. That would be like rolling into supination and trying to apply force in the ground through an ER position, which we know that we don't want to do because that's where a lot of injury mechanisms lie. So this is a really good discussion with Paul. Paul brought up a great question, very simple question, but again, very, very useful. Um, I tacked on uh, a little video to the end, one of the simple solution videos in regards to those folks that do apply force into the ground um, through their through their hand and they get that little wrist pain on the back. And so there's a little solution there for you tagged at the end. If you would like to participate in a 15 minute consultation, please go to askbillhartman at gmail.com, askbillhartman at gmail.com. Please put 15 minute consultation in the subject line so I don't delete it. We'll arrange that at our mutual convenience. Everybody have an outstanding Wednesday. I will see you tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. Coffee and Coaches Conference call. Have a great day. Question. I just wanted to clarify. You were saying Jordan when he had his hand out. Yeah. The pivot form is what is is the main contact point during. Have that. you ever have have you ever heard this referred to as the heel of your hand? Yeah, uh, I'm just trying to think like during a like a max P moment during a yep. push up. Yep. I was thinking you'd be pushing more towards the inside edge. Like this feels like the inside edge during a push up. But then I started thinking in an anatomical position, this is actually like a medial edge. And so when I, I just in my room here pushed and I swear it was exactly what my left elbow needed. I was like, holy shit, that made such a difference when I just put the pressure through there and you said, that brings the scap forward, right? Like, yeah, it's gonna, so this is gonna, so when you start to push really hard on that spot right there, yep. okay, that's gonna be, that's gonna move the hand towards a, a, a more max P moment. I've been doing it wrong. <laughs> you, you felt the difference though, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I feel it. Yeah. I feel I've been favoring this. Like I said, the, the, so the evolution of the hand makes it a little bit different from the foot, just on a, on a couple of little nuances. The, the behavior is basically the same, right? Um, therefore, the, the, the distal to proximal behavior is going to be the same. There's, like I said, it's just this opposable thumb thingy that screws up a little bit of the mechanical element of it. And, um, yeah, it makes it look a little different, but it behaves the same. And the fact that it's, Kind of twisted relative to the foot or yeah to the so 
So let's let's take this to the extreme then for a second. Okay, let's say that you rolled to the to the thenar element here and you pick that up off the ground mm -hmm. to do a push up. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's an eye orientation. That's actually so if I was doing a push up through my hand and I start to load here on the on the push up. Yeah. Okay, then what's going to happen is is you're actually going to do that which you've probably seen a million times on your clients where they shrug to, to push. Yeah. Okay. Because they have to use an IR compensatory strategy because they're not capable of producing the force in internal rotation without the, the compensation. So they're oh, showing you losing the piece of form. Right. So they, they give it up. They put more pressure here. Okay. They give this up. So, um, you ever you ever seen you ever seen somebody in like a barefoot and and you say put pressure on the inside of your foot and they pick up their little pinky toe? Mm -hmm. That's what this is. That's the same thing that we're talking about. So they're giving up the lateral ass. They're they're giving up the the calcaneus rather. Sorry, they're giving up the calcaneus right in an effort to get more internal rotation. So they're trying to do this. Okay. Push right. They're trying to get more IR. They don't have. The capability of producing the force so they have to go into compensatory strategy to create the ir okay i was thinking this was like lateral calcaneus and then this was medial calcaneus this is medial calcaneus okay and for me my left shoulder you know i, I pole vaulted so like my left shoulder is just right always yeah. here but i was always holding the pole you know like this and never really engaging here and so just now when jordan was doing it i was doing it here and I really pushed through that spot in space. And it was just like my body just gave a sigh of relief. It was like, that's what you needed. Well, yeah, it knows what to do under the circumstances, right? Yeah. yeah. Hey, it's Bill and I fast physical therapy. Uh, if you get that pain on the back side of your wrist when you do push-ups or get down on all fours, give this a try. Step back on the same side leg, bend forward to about 90 degrees, and then turn your arm inward. Turn your palm outward, and you're gonna do a curl right there. Okay, I'm gonna breathe in, I'm gonna hold it, and I'm gonna exhale on the way down. Breathe in, hold it, curl, exhale on the way down. Knock out about 10, 12 reps of that, and then recheck your push-up. We talk about capturing the early foot, and that would be medial heel contact, first metatarsal head. Hi, Bill. I have, I have a question about chopping and I, I looked at your videos, chops for end game wide and end game narrow. Uh, uh -huh. Some time ago, you put it on Instagram, and oh. I, I see your chop. You're always chopping toward the medial of the knee, the medial side of yeah. the knee. Yeah. So I would like to know because I see so many people chopping out, and. What, what's your thought process? Is it like more when capturing more relative motion, should I chop inside? Right. Because if I chop out, would I just orient on my lateral foot and I just orient it? All right. Why are you asking me questions you already know the answers to? Yeah, I, I wasn't sure. <laughs> no, that's it. So, so again, you, you, have to, you have to decide what the goal is. If we're trying to recapture relative motions, we have to we have 
to manage things like direction, magnitude, position, etc. Right. So yeah. if 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 the force is outside <clears throat> outside of my base of support, okay, that's beyond where I have access to relative motion. Okay. So when we talk about <clears throat> excuse me, we talk about capturing the early foot and that would be medial heel contact, first metatarsal head. That's where we start to superimpose the internal rotation on the external rotation. So that is a demonstration of relative motions where both of them exist at the same time, right? In, in that representation. Yeah. Okay. If I was to stay on the outside edge of the foot and never capture the medial aspect of that foot, that would be an orientation into external rotation with no internal rotation available. And if I if I chop outside and capture my my medial contacts, yeah, would that would that promote more yielding on the posterior or no? Think about what you're doing. <clears throat> so, um, for you to have a force that you're applying outside the base of support, okay and pushing off the inside edge of your foot, you would be pushing your body away from the, from the end point. Okay. Yeah. Falling. So, right. well, it's not necessarily falling. It's, it's just that you're, you're propelling yourself away from something. So it'd be like coming out of a cut. Okay. Where you would be again, reducing, reducing the internal rotation. So as you're chopping across, as, I, as I'm moving through space, okay, as long as I'm chopping, that part of the chop that's within my base of support, I have access to relative motion, okay? You understand yeah. that? Yeah. If I continue to go outside, so I'm not, I'm not chopping this way, I'm pushing my body in the opposite direction. So I'm yeah. actually turning away from the weight. Yeah, yeah. Right? So if I want, if I want internal rotation on the external rotation, I have to stay inside my base of support. If I want to drive a late representation, I can chop outside and then make sure that I'm pushing off the inside edge of my foot, but that's going to be a late representation. It's not going to be the early representation where I'm starting to superimpose the internal rotation. It's going to be the late representation where I'm pushing the internal rotation away. It would be it would be late on the same side I'm chopping towards. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Because it's outside your base of support. So so again, it's like hold your hands fixed, right? So so put the put the put the weight put the weight right over your left foot, right over your left foot. Yeah. Put it right over your left foot. Okay. Now, don't move your hands, but put your body in a position where the weight would then be outside of the the base of support. No, the other way, the other way, the other way. Oh, like, the other way. Yeah. That's what you're doing when you chop outside of your body. All right. Yeah. So you're yeah. moving towards a late representation, which is fine if that's what you want to do. But you have to recognize the fact that you're not, you're not capturing relative motion. You're reducing the relative motion under those circumstances. Okay. So if you were to do a... Uh, Instead of the chopping motion, the lifting motion on a diagonal, it's yep. much easier. It's much easier to produce 
the late representation under those circumstances. It's very easy to see that late representation. But when you chop outside the base of support, okay, it's a lot harder to see it because everybody's looking at the hands. They're not looking at the response of the body to that, to that position. All right. All okay. Right. Yeah. So, so there's two options when you chop outside the base of support. I can go with it. I can turn with it, but understand that that turn is just an orientation. I'm just turning my body towards the, towards the load. Whereas if I can turn away from the load, which is very difficult to do under that circumstance, it's very difficult. Yeah. Um, I'd be going in the opposite direction, which would be a late representation. But again, the, the, the orientation or the movement away are both a loss of relative motion. All right. Does that make uh, sense? Yeah, for sure. Because okay. I, I saw it as, because if I, if I chop towards the middle of my, toward my medial heel, I, I was like seeing as less less of a whole, a whole axial skeleton rotation. But if I would go out, I see more of a sacrum going there and the whole spine going there. Exactly. So, so again, you're, you're, you're describing the orientation exactly as I, as I just did. So, that, so you yeah. understand. That's good. Yeah. That's yeah. it. And, you got but it. I was seeing like, yeah, if I need lower lower posterior on the left wouldn't i go out so i get this rotation as well but yeah i'm i'm losing the relative motions in the pelvis in the process right. so yeah but if i if i would want like a lower thorax expansion uh like lower posterior at the back on the left i could go out but i should keep in mind i'm losing the i'm not get yeah Okay, so let's think about this now. So, so let's make this useful. Um, if, if that's what you wanted to do, okay? So if you wanted to turn the chop into a representation of, say, like a middle propulsive representation, what would you, what would you want to do in regards to how much bend in your hip, how much bend in your knee, and what foot representation would you want? I would want 90 at the hip. At so it's a, yeah, yeah, you got it. So it's a deeper, it's a deeper uh, or lower center of gravity in that yeah. chop to capture what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. I want that to happen. Mm -hmm. Okay, which means that that's DR expansion. See the medial border moving posterior. Yeah. There's my delay, right? But to do that, subscapularis has to be able to eccentrically orient. And if it doesn't, you ain't going to get ER. Good morning. Happy Friday. I have NeuroCoffee in hand and it is perfect. All right. Whew. Recovering from a food coma. Uh, those of you that celebrate Thanksgiving, hope you had a great time. Um, I ate a lot yesterday, so feeling it. You know the the food hangover is is real um but we are back to work and we're gonna dig right into today's q a this was a great question um from the the coffee and coaches conference call yesterday um zach's working with a post-surgical athlete 
and was running into a little bit of, of an impasse and recapturing um, some of the ranges of motion. And so we got to dig deep into some shoulder mechanics stuff and some relationship stuff. So the shoulder's never in isolation from everything else, but sometimes you gotta work locally to get the effective response. And so we talked about that um, so we've dug into a little bit of treatment, but mostly I think the, the big takeaway here is gonna be some of the, sh the mechanical relationships in the shoulder um, that, that we miss out on. I think a lot of people get distracted by the humerus movement when reality is a lot of times we gotta get that scapula to move on and away from the thorax um, in an appropriate manner to restore a lot of these ranges of motion. So again, I think it'll be useful for a lot of people. If you would like to participate in a 15 minute consultation, please go to askbillhartman at gmail.com, askbillhartman at gmail.com, put 15 minute consultation in the subject line so I don't delete it. We will arrange that at our mutual convenience. Everybody have an outstanding weekend. Podcast will be up on Sunday. Don't forget to go to the YouTube channel and subscribe, and I will see you next week. Morning. Greetings. Um, so I have a specific patient in mind that I'm thinking of and asking this question, but it's something that I've seen with some other people as well. Um, but just to give a quick context for the patient, um, a rugby player, very, very tall, narrow, um, post-op bladder J on his left shoulder. Um, so he's still pretty early on and has some significant precautions on what I can do at the left shoulder. Yep. Um, but from just like an overall standpoint, definitely like trending towards end game. Um, and like subjectively he'll, he'll just feel like a lot of tightness on his right side, moving him through range of motion. Um, okay. and the main thing on the left shoulder right now, um, from a range of motion standpoint is whenever I do his external rotation, um, He's allowed to go to 70 degrees right now, but can only get him to about 40, 45. And he's limited by like a tightness or pinching in the back of the shoulder. Uh -huh. um, so I've been doing from like a trying to recapture range of motion standpoint, I've been doing more like cueing at the lower body, just to not have to try to incorporate that shoulder. Um, I feel like I, I'm recapturing motion at the hips, but yeah not getting like the same response at the shoulder and thorax that I would expect from like an iteration standpoint. Okay. So is that a case where I guess I have two like scenarios in my head, either like I'm not getting the motion that I think I am, or is it also possible that like just whatever compressive strategy he has in the thorax, like is the wave not getting from like the foot, uh, lower extremity pelvis up, um, I guess those are the two scenarios I have in my head. I'm trying to figure out like where to go next based off the fact that I'm getting the changes in the pelvis, but not the shoulder. <clears throat> okay. So you had a surgery. So keep that in mind. Yep. Okay. And so they changed some stuff. And so the behavior is going to be um, modified. So you've got a centrally driven issue. And then you've got the, the constraint, right? That is altered. And then you have the response of the entire system of not wanting to propagate the wave into the shoulder, right? Like it's going to try to stop it. Mm -hmm. Right. So that when, when people say, Oh, you're guarding, right. They, they say that you're guarding. that's just muscle activity, right. For a reason, for a reason. Okay. So, so number one, you need to make sure that you are capturing the early representation throughout on that side.
okay? Um, because if you think about what's most likely going on as he is ERing the shoulder, do you think he's actually ERing at the glenohumeral joint? No. No, that's why you get the pinch on the backside of the shoulder, right? Because if, if you were actually ERing on the posterior aspect of the shoulder joint, the scapula would be able to move. He's not moving the scapula right now, is he? I'm trying to think where he's getting it. Like, is he just, is he just trying to like, as I'm doing it, just like arch back? Uh, try, okay, uh, old school representation retraction. So, so he, he's just pinching the shoulder waist together to try to get that to lay the arm back? Right. Cause he doesn't want to move it. Yeah. So how do you, how do you make it, how do you make it look like ER when you don't want to ER the shoulder? Right. Okay. Right. Um, are you allowed to lay hands on him? Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so let's think about where you've got concentric orientation. Mm. Where uh, you gotta go? Where you gotta go? Where's the big money? Big. You gotta stick your fingers in somewhere. Uh, where do you need expansion? Where do you need expansion to get ER? So for him, probably go down, like start from the bottom and just go like towards like lats on that side, like like in like the posterior lower area or? Um, I'd be okay with that actually, yes, but. Um, and then let's, like, let's, like, zoom, let's zoom in like they do in, in from the doctor's perspective, we'll just zoom in on the shoulder there and we'll just say that this is a shoulder thingy just so we can cut to the chase. Um, like dorsal rostral area. Okay. Where Maybe do you need more. Okay. So, okay. So I need to be able to turn. I need to be able to turn the scapula, don't I? Mm -hmm. Okay. That's what's going to get you your ER back. So it's not, it's, it's, it's the fact that, that, you might have early, so you're capturing hip range of motion, but you're not getting it at the shoulder, right? Okay, so you're gonna have to turn the scapula, right? You're gonna have to get dorsal rostral expansion. So, you, so that side starts to delay, okay? Under that circumstance, if the scapula is turning, okay, it's gonna be an inhaled representation, correct? Mm -hmm. Okay, what local musculature will prevent that scapula from actually turning. I'm struggling here. Um. Relative to the humerus. So just, just pull the humerus and the scapula off. Okay. Hold, hold the, hang up. Look what I have. You pulled it off. <laughs> I pulled it off. There you go. Okay. So this is uh the anterior aspect of the uh, um, scapula, humerus, okay? So you're trying to do that, mm -hmm. okay? So if I wanna do that and it's not doing that. Pecs? No. No? No. Pecs are down here. Pecs don't control the fluid shift in the synovial joint of the shoulder. Do you, do you know, is there anything, so you know how the capsule contains the synovial fluid? Yeah. Is there anything that would be directly attached to the capsule that might influence how that fluid shifts inside that synovial joint? Yeah, I'm sure there is. Um, 
Sub scat. Now you're thinking. Okay. So if I want to ER that representation there, I need eccentric orientation across that space, don't I? Because what you want, it's like, I'm going to fix the humerus. I want that to happen. Mm -hmm. Okay. Which means that that's DR expansion. See the medial border moving posterior. Yeah. There's my delay, right? But to do that, subscapularis has to be able to eccentrically orient. And if it doesn't, you ain't going to get ER. What you're going to get is that, which is going to look like it's pointing towards ER. Okay. All right. So, so number one, you definitely need your, your, your posterior expansion. So I'm, I'm on point with that, but you got to eccentrically orient subscapularis. Okay. Now we got to start thinking about where else do you need to get that same representation? Are we still zoomed in on the shoulder or no? <laughs> the shoulder part was easy. <laughs> that was the easy part? Oh, man. <laughs> shoulder part was easy. What other, what other measures do you want to think about here, boss? Um, and the shoulder flexion measure. I'm not even on the shoulder anymore, man. I'm thinking about other stuff. Is it are you for a range of motion measurement? You're saying what other range of motion measurement? Yes, sir. Where do, where else do you want to, Where else do you want? Where else will you be able to demonstrate the uh, the ER representation? At the hip. What do you need? What do you need? Let's go to the pelvis, for instance. Let's just say, what do you need at the pelvis to make sure that I have the same representation in the pelvis as I do up in the shoulder? I would look for like the ER straight leg raise. Yeah, so it's going to be the same measures that that you're that you're taking that you're taking in the shoulder, right? Mm -hmm. You got to make sure that you're that you're capturing it in the pelvis too, right? Yeah, I guess that, that was part of the original confusion that prompted the question is that like, I get his like hip external rotation, hip flexion and just like straight leg raise in my estimation that comes back with a lot of what we're doing, but we're not seeing the change in the shoulder. Okay, but if you're, if you're capturing those, then you're, you're on track. You're just going to have to make sure, like you're going to have to go there most likely and do something local then right? Because your global strategy is, is effective from your description, mm -hmm. but you might have to do something local to make that change. Because again, he is going to protect himself, his brain, and he's not doing it intentionally. No, right? absolutely. Because I'm sure if he's a rugby player, he's just, he's probably tough as nails and wants to, wants to work really, really hard, but he's, he's still going to have a, not, not only a constraint change due to the surgery, but like I said, the protective response yeah, I mean, he, like you said, like he's tough. He's a really hard worker. What I will say is, so what led to this surgery was about close to 10 dislocations where ultimately they said like, all right, we got to fix this. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to keep playing. Um, yeah. So there is a lot of like fear, rightfully so. Um, like anytime we're moving that shoulder, specifically laying it back um, right. of it popping out. Yeah. Um, so like a, it's what you're describing in terms of like that guarding where he's yep. kind of just like pulling the scap. Like it yep. makes sense that he would be doing it. Cause he's just, he doesn't want to do it. He, yeah. He so to, it's, if, it's subconscious. When you, get to the, 
when you get to the point that you can do the scapular decompression, you know mm -hmm. what I'm, which one I'm talking about, the manual? Yeah, just kind of like peel, peel it back. Uh, so to speak. It's not peel it back, it's pull it off. So, so when you lift the medial border of the scapula away from the thorax, the subscapularis has to eccentrically orient under those circumstances. So you ever had those people where you try to get your fingers underneath the scapula and you can't because it's pinned, mm -hmm. like it's literally pinned against the thorax and you just can't get your hands underneath there. Yep. Right? So that is a sub subscapularis that is concentrically oriented under those circumstances that will not let that scapula move. So what you may need to do is you go in there and um, it's kind of like lazy rolling where you're doing like the scapular PNF part of it. Like maybe you need to do that to, to tone down all of that concentric muscle activity, right? The benefit of that is you can drive them towards early and late representations manually, right? He starts to let some of that stuff go naturally. You're going to get lower cervical rotation, okay? Very important. You're going to get upper cervical rotation in the opposing direction, which is exactly what you wanted to get in the first place, okay? You follow? Yep. Okay. So there's a lot of things that you can do here, but but it, it sounds like you're gonna, based on your description, like I said, your 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 strategy has been appropriate, but you're gonna have to do something local. You're gonna have to make a window of opportunity with your hands. Gotcha.